Coming up on this Big Gay Fiction Fest episode, we've got a terrific panel discussion on paranormal romance. Welcome to episode 385 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. I'm Will, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Jeff. Hello, Rainbow Romance Reader. We hope you're having a great Pride Month and enjoying these special Big Gay Fiction Fest episodes. And it's time right now for another panel discussion. This time we're focused on paranormal romance as we talk with authors Jen Burke, Kiki Borelli, and Mia Monroe. One of the many things I love about this conversation is the representation of many paranormal beings that these authors write. We've got everything from witches to phoenixes to werewolves to vampires and so much more, including how one author tends to smoosh a whole bunch of different types of characters together. We also find out how each of these authors decide to make characters their own, such as vampires who actually aren't dead. Jen, Kiki, and Mia, thank you so much for joining us on the Big Gay Fiction Fest. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I am excited. We're going to talk about paranormal romance. And let's get everybody started with all of you introducing yourselves. Mia, I'll start with you. Okay. I am Mia Monroe. And until, uh, let's see, I've been writing MM romance since 2019. And until recently, meaning just a few months ago, I wrote contemporary MM, but I have just launched into paranormal. Exciting. Very exciting. Jen, what about you? Uh, I'm Jen Burke, and I write paranormal and some sci-fi romance in there, too. Um, My latest big series, paranormal series, is kind of the not dead yet universe. Um, And the spinoff series is just concluding um, in in May. So, um, yeah, so the last book in that, that universe is going to be out in May. And Kiki. I'm Kiki Borelli. I write uh, paranormal romance. Um, I get really attached to my characters, so I tend to write big worlds where there's many series where you see characters come again and again and again. And I also like to smush just a bunch of different types of paranormal creatures together. Smush is that, that's a technical term, right? The smooshing of the characters oh, I made together. My, yes, yes, I made my 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 word learn that word because I was done with that red squiggly line. <laughs> Mia, I'm curious because you're newer to paranormal. What shifted you from contemporary over to paranormal? So I think it started with, um, I read a book in December that was sort of magical realism, paranormal-ish. And I loved the book so much that it sort of made me think, well, why am I not writing this type of book? Why am I only reading this type of book? And then um, when I start to look back at my own life, I grew up in Massachusetts. And if you don't know anything about Massachusetts, the entire place is haunted. And I lived in Salem, um, home of the witches, and uh, I walked to school through a decrepit old cemetery with you know, gravestones tumbled over and you couldn't even read them anymore because they were so old and, and ignored. And so my entire life has been surrounded by this sort of paranormal flavor. Yet when I decided to start writing romance, I, I was, I don't even know why, but I just gravitated naturally to contemporary. But in December, when that book sort of like really resonated with me, 
I decided it was time to um, embrace that part of me and jump in. That's very cool, making that kind of transition. Kiki, for you, what what inspired you to do paranormal as opposed to any other of the romance genres that are out there? I think with paranormal, I love that there's more freedom in it. You can just make up what you want. And if you decide this exists, it exists now. And I, I love having that ability. Just the sky is the limit. Your mind's the limit. Do you build kind of... I guess, guardrails for yourself, essentially, to like what your world has in it? Or is it truly just, I want somebody to now do this thing, and you just kind of go for it? Uh, to, to an extent, it's both of those things. That's another thing that's hard about paranormal is you have to, if anything can be true, then you have to decide what isn't true. And so that can, that can be tough, but after a while, after you've been established and you've written a few books, I mean, it just naturally has these rules. And I mean, you can't, you can't have wolf shifters and all of a sudden bring in mermaids if there was no chance that mermaids could ever exist. I mean, things have to make sense, I guess, in, in, in the realm of the world that you've created. Mm -hmm. And Jen, for you, what was it about paranormal that drew you in? Um, so it goes way back. So I kind of credit uh, Mercedes Lackey and Tanya Huff um, as two authors who really inspired me um, back in the uh, early 90s. <laughs> um, so I was a teenager reading that stuff. And it was just kind of, I'd always read fantasy, fairy tales, that sort of thing. And then I found uh, Mercedes Lackey, Diana Traegard series, which is it's a paranormal urban fantasy, you know, um, which is in the real world kind of thing. And that kind of introduced me to the idea of, Hey, these kind of stories could happen in the real world. So I sort of sought out those, um, Charles DeLint is another great example. Um, and then Tanya Huff, uh, especially her bloodline series that's set in Toronto, um, that really opened my eyes to the fact that, Hey, I could write these kinds of stories set in Canada, which, for Canadians is kind of a big deal because you don't see a lot of books set in Canada. So, um, so that kind of introduced me to the whole paranormal thing. So paranormal has been my, the kind of the, the love of my writing life um, forever. Uh, interestingly enough, the first series I did with Kelly Jensen was actually science fiction romance. Um, but uh, when we were done with that, then I refocused on paranormal. So the majority of my books are paranormal. I do love blood ties. Yes. I was first exposed to it with the TV series when it ran in the US and then I went back and read some of the books because I was so into those characters. Those books are awesome. And I have to say it's one of the highlights of my writing career that I've actually met Tanya Huff. She came to a um, meeting with the Ottawa Romance Writers. Um, she gave, I can't remember what the, the meeting was about, but she was presenting. And then I, I met her later and she remembered my name. So it was, it was like one of those things that teenage me would never have believed would ever happen. And it was just one of those kind of moments. <laughs> That's cool. Awesome. Let's define things a little bit. Cause sometimes when I'm reading, I'm like, you know, what is paranormal versus something like urban fantasy or magical realism? What does the story have to have to be considered paranormal in your minds? For me, um, for me, paranormal is kind of the classic um, 
monsters that are no they're they're the good guys though so like the vampires and the witches and ghosts and that sort of thing so that's kind of brought in and and there's the difference between paranormal romance and urban fantasy urban fantasy is uh focused on those monsters with some romance whereas the paranormal romance is focused on the romance with some of those monsters in it so it's it's a little bit um um similar yet different um, like in a lot of urban fantasy series, you'll see uh, love triangles that go on and on and on or, you know, are never resolved. Whereas in a paranormal romance, you might have characters that go from book to book, but the romantic arc is continuing across those books between that character uh, or those characters. It's not always, you know, will they, won't they? It is, they will, but it's just going to take a while to get there. Mia, what about you? Anything you would add, add yeah. to that? I agree a lot with what Jen said. I think it's the, um, I think it's the, the creatures that we think about in our, in a mythical sense or behind the veil, um, existing in the real world and interacting with, uh, you know, mortals or humans, however you want to word it, depending on which creature you're talking about. Um, and yeah, exactly. The romance part is that it really features the, the romance between, you know, the monster and whoever they're with. And I think when I think of urban fantasy, I do think that it has a different sort of um, feel to it, even like it can be a uh, maybe a bigger mystery, like a saving the world type of mystery. And um, maybe a grittier backdrop sort of thing, maybe even a little bit more action adventure at times um, with the romance sort of intertwined, whereas uh, definitely with paranormal romance, the um, the plot is going on, but the feature is about the romance between the main characters. I look at paranormal and paranormal romance as more of just anything that is about the other, like anything that can't be proven to exist in our world that's in a book. I, I feel like that all is classified as paranormal romance. And then I sort of look at a paranormal genre as maybe like the parent and then paranormal romance and urban fantasies as offsprings who are siblings because they are like very similar and, and urban fantasy tends to like everyone else said it's grittier it's got more of like tends to have a more sarcastic tone whereas paranormal romance can have sort of elements of urban fantasy but it, you don't usually find those um I guess those more acerbic narrations you don't usually find in paranormal romance along with the creatures how does magic play into it because i also think magic factors heavily in urban fantasy but then i've read some paranormal where magic's not part of that world necessarily but somewhere it is well for for my book in covens uh the series covens of eaton falls i originally planned it to be featuring the a witch coven and a vampire coven and my, so it was always going to be heavily focused on the witches and their magic uh, existing in the real world, unbeknownst to sort of the, we call them basic, can I, can I say bad words on this? I don't know. Absolutely. That <laughs> basic ass humans is what they call jokingly, what, um, what they call the regular mortals in, um, in my books. Uh, the technical term is non-magical beings, but so they have actual magic that's going on through my witches. And so I think that's just part of the world that I chose to create 
um, witches exist in our world, but the type of magic that they create does not, at least not to my knowledge, to what Kiki said cannot be proven. So, um, you know, but magic balls of light and different things happening like that, I've never seen happen, uh, whereas they do exist in the world that I created. So for for me, I think it's just a matter of um, if you if you want that type of magic to exist in your world that you created. I think that magic is also so, so broad, depending on your, your system, your structure of magic, mm-hmm. you know, you can have magic that n- naturally exists within people, magic that needs to be learned, magic that's like nature magic, animal magic. Um, it, and you have to decide what type of magic it is, because that, that part's very important, I think. Mm-hmm. As you're plotting a series or a book or, or a singular book, how much thought do you put into your world as you're starting versus how much can you pants something like paranormal where at least to me, I would get anxious if I didn't know how the world worked before I started writing something. How does it work for each of you? And, and Jim, we'll come up to you first. So um, I, I tend to come up with an idea and then I start thinking of, okay, what are the rules? So those are, that's one of the first things that I do just so that I, because a lot of the time when you come up with the rules that can um, kind of point the plot in a certain direction. So uh, example in my not dead yet series, one of the rules I came up with is that witches can't use magic for their own personal gain. It never works properly. So that kind of led into the, the main plot, which was a uh, coven of, of witches who are trying to find a way around that rule and doing a whole bunch of bad stuff um, in the, in the process. So without that rule in advance, I wouldn't have had that piece of the plot to, to kind of build on. So for me, you know, figuring out the rules, figuring out the types of magic, figuring out the types of creatures, those are all things that I want to do in advance so that um, when it comes time to figure out the plot, I have those pieces already to go. I think for me, um, when I'm first starting, it's just the general premise. It's sort of like the overall lump of clay, like what color is this clay and what it, what is this clay made out of? And then as I start writing the first book, I'll start adding in the specifics of the world um, just so that it makes sense with the plot and, and deciding, oh yeah, of course it's that way because this other thing needs to happen. I think that that whole process of, of writing it through the first time to sort of cement details is very important to me. And I also like to leave certain, certain things open, certain things unanswered, um, certain like, uh, prophecies just sort of very vague so that later on I can decide, oh yeah, it means this. Um, yeah. So I think that's how I plot it through. I would say that my, my process is similar to Kiki's in some way. Um, since this was my first time ever writing a paranormal book, um, maybe it was a little bit of blend between Jen and Kiki. Like I sat down and said, okay, well, I definitely want vampires, uh, cause that's my jam. And I definitely want witches because I wanted to write a bunch of twinky, sassy, but powerful witches. So I knew that those were going to be the two main um, beings that lived in my world. And I knew why they were not supposed to interact with each other. And so to Jen's point, that was sort of my big um, reason, the big plot behind everything. But then... Um, 
similar to what Kiki did. Then I just kind of started writing. And then when I would get to something that I said, oh, I need to answer this question, then I would answer it and write it down. So I knew this is something I have to be consistent with through the whole book. And then I just kind of went through it that way. And I ended up changing to a very big, a very big uh, aha moment at the end of book one, because as I got through it and I was answering those questions, there was this moment where I was like, oh, here's a fork in the road. I can either make this go faded mates or I could not. And um, I just love the idea of faded mates. And since I'm in a paranormal world, I decided to uh, go that way. And it worked with the rest of the plot that had already been created. But now the great thing, like he says, is now you've made those rules. So now in every, every book you go forward, you're like, oh, wait, that can't happen because I said in book one, it only works if. So it's kind of a work in progress, but it's been a blast. So I love it. <laughs> when you're doing series, do you try to think through like, you know, Jen, you've done two trilogies, but even if you're going, you know, further than that, do you have a sense when you're in book one, how much you need to set in stone for your rules? Or do you leave yourself room to create new rules in the subsequent books? So for me, um, I have to have a good reason to break my rules and um, not to say that they're never unbreakable, but there has to be something that is out of the ordinary. So um, you wouldn't necessarily break the rule just on a whim because there's going to be a consequence. So um, yeah, for me, it's a little bit different because uh, for those, for the Not Dead Yet series and the Ashes and Dust series, those are the same characters going across both trilogies. So it's not a, like a new pairing for each book. So I have stuff fairly plotted out um, kind of vaguely for the, like when I'm working on book one, I have ideas where book two and three are going to go and, and what the final product is going to look like, but the stuff in between there's the ups and downs about, you know, what is actually going to happen to get me there. And that normally comes out as I'm actively plotting the next books. So. How have you approached your like series building Kiki? Um, I, I, I plan ahead. I try not to plan too much ahead, but um, I, I plan pretty far ahead. When I was writing uh, Truth, which is the first book of my Wolves of Walker County series, I was I was deciding things for a book that happened seven books in two series later. So I like to to start early and keep those notes, but I also think it's really important for me personally to not decide anything that I don't have to decide yet, because I don't want to write myself into a corner that didn't it didn't need to be a corner. So I like to leave a sort of a bunch of those questions unanswered until they must be answered. I like that flexibility sound. It might freak me out a little bit with the planner that I am, but it sounds like a really good plan. How did you approach all that, Mia? I mean, as you kind of dove into your very first paranormal series, were you looking across your series to make these rules? Yeah, so... The first thing I had to decide was, because in contemporary, uh, I write a lot of series, but they're all interconnected standalones. So they're together, you know, maybe it's a friend group or something like that, but each book can be read as its own standalone story. So I had to decide right away if I wanted what I wanted for this series. So 
Each book is a different couple, but the plot carries through the entire series. So I had to learn how to not only I had to think about how many books I wanted, which is something I typically do anyway. I sort of put the couples together, figure out how many books there's going to be, um, maybe even figure out the tropes or whatever reason is going to keep them together or keep them apart. But for this, I also had to figure out how is the plot arch going to work through six books. So um, something Kiki said earlier, which I didn't realize what I did, was I left a lot of the stuff vague um, where the characters don't know what's happening either. So that gives me some, <laughs> some wiggle room to decide what happens as we get further into the story. Um, so I don't have to have it all figured out. I can kind of let the characters tell me as we get through each book. And I'm, I'm about halfway through book three and I've just figured out who the actual villain is. Like I knew who he was, but I, now I know what his motive is. And so I had to get through two and a half books before I realized why is he causing all of this problem? You know, why is he doing all of this? What is the point? Um, so now I kind of know that as I'm going through the rest of the books. What kind of Bibles do you keep to keep all this stuff straight? I mean, it's hard enough writing contemporary for me to go, eye color was this, hair color was that, you know, this is where they, you know, had their first job or whatever it is. There's a lot more stuff you're keeping track here. Yeah, I, I, my PA does it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, gave, I gave her book one and said, here, um, write down everything that seems uh, important. Um, write down how their parents, you know, stuff about their family, what they look like, any quirky, you know, things that they have, uh, what they said their specialty magic was, what the, you know, what the vampire's color eyes look like, you know, just write, you know, and so she basically just made me like a big table um, and separated them by vampire, witch, and um, I also have some extra special characters, uh, beings in my world. And I did that intentionally so I could spin off into other paranormal creatures later. Um, so write them all down, tell me their names and what I said they did. And so, yeah, it's just a big spreadsheet that I can refer back to when I get stuck on what color were his eyes again, how were his parents, what happened to his parents. So how did that magic work? Yeah. How did that magic work? What are my rules? What was the reason behind that? Yeah, exactly. I was not as good at keeping, um, my Bible as I was writing in the not dead yet universe, it was kind of like, Oh, maybe I should write all this stuff down. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so there was, I, 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 I do have a PA, but I haven't tasked her with doing a Bible yet. It's something that's been on my mind, but, um, yeah, so I do have some stuff written down. Uh, it was kind of neat in the ashes and dust series because it's a spinoff of not dead yet. So I, I already knew the characters and I had them in my head and I, like, I knew the world and all that stuff. And so, um, there was a little bit less work than in, in setting up the universe as there was in the, the first series. And Kiki, how, how are you keeping, keeping track of everything? I think like Jen, I, I, I often fall into the, Oh, you'll remember that. Why, why would you forget that? And then you do always, always forget. So I've tried to be more careful about just as I go along, as I decide things, when I'm, when I'm in the plotting stage, I use Scrivener to write. So I just have, the, the left-hand side is just, you know, a long list of just different files and inside each, 
is just rules of, of that specific subsection. Because I mean, if you have a world that has shifters and witches and werewolves, you need, I mean, each of them needs kind of their own their own origin, their own story, or their own rules and things like that. And I also, when I'm plotting a book to a next book, I'll read through the, the book before so that I can make make certain connections that um, maybe I would have been able to make otherwise. Like I would have forgotten that they went to a restaurant and their waitress was weird. And then so in the next book, I can maybe describe like that waitress is actually a selkie and that's why she's weird. So um, that's another big part of it. I love how everybody's got their own kind of method or non-method to dealing with, to dealing with all of that. For each of you, I'm curious to know, what's like the funnest part of writing paranormal? Because since you're getting to, you know, kind of dig into things that don't exist in our, in our real world. We think don't exist. That's a good point. <laughs> Hasn't, been proven. Hasn't been proven yet. <laughs> I could went be on writing a tour. contemporary and just don't know it yet. <laughs> I went on a vampire. Yeah, I went on a vampire tour in New Orleans. A few. Uh, I was there last month in March, and I was convinced by the end of it that our tour guide was absolutely a vampire. He he was so into his job um, that I was like, "Yep, he's actually one of them." And now I know it for sure. Um, yeah. Will he but be showing up in a book eventually? <laughs> Well, yes, he's actually going to the the book that I'm going to spin the series I'm going to spin off after this one is actually going to be set in New Orleans because of him and some of the experiences I had while I was there. So yes, he is he is uh, going to be a muse for me. Um, but I guess I'll answer the question since I'm already yapping. So um, <laughs> I think I think the best thing about it for me has been taking off the. Um, the wheels of contemporary, right? There, in contemporary, the world exists as it exists. That, that it's the world that we live in. Um, if, even if it's historical, it's the world they lived in at that time. It's which is not contemporary, but you know what I mean. They're living normal people. Um, in this, I get to have so much fun with all the characters that I've always been interested in. I get to create them. You know, I have I have mermaids and reapers and dragons and fae and of course witches and, and vampires and I get to humanize them and um, create a world that I wish I did live in um, to some extent and uh, the rules are mine so I don't have to and I know there are some conventions that people believe in or that are I guess common but even my vampires deviate from a lot of those rules. Like they can go outside when the sun is out and there's, you know, different conventions that I created for my vampires because that's what I wanted my vampires to be like. And no one can really argue with you because who knows of any real vampires. So I think that's the funnest part is that you just get to do literally whatever you want to do. For me, it's, um, taking those conventions, like you said, and twisting them a bit and making the types of creatures mine, like to sit down and, and really think about, okay, what sort of creature do I want to have in this book? And how can I make it different from um, other times that I've seen that type of creature in another paranormal book? So like my vampires aren't dead. They're, they transfer their magic from life magic to blood magic at the moment just before they die. So they're, they still have to eat regular food. They're still alive. They just, you know, they are sustained by blood magic as well as, as 
you know, your regular human needs. So that's, that's just one of those things. Like it just makes like finding those ways to kind of make something your own is really fun. Like how can you twist it just a little bit that, you know, this person is familiar enough with the concept, but they haven't quite seen it. Like I'm going to show them. That's fun. Yeah. I I think I, I agree with both with Mia and Jen. It's, it's the freedom of just creating what you want and deciding how a thing is. And now that that's how that thing is. If, if you want your, your office to impregnate their male mates and then they, you know, have a baby by turning into a light cocoon and then it flashes into being, you get to do that. That gets to happen. Um, and I also love looking at just folklore that already exists around the world and taking bits of that and just adapting it into, into my stories. Yes, absolutely. One of the funnest things I did with Coven's is I added Greek mythology to it uh, because I'm a huge geek about, in fact, uh, I'm going to get some tattoos later this year with, with Greek goddesses on them. So um, I found a way to like incorporate the witches having sort of a Greek goddess as their, um, you know, deity, someone, you know, that they admire and can connect to. Um, so I made them real in my world. Greek, Greek gods and goddesses exist um, because I wanted them there. And so I think that's exactly what you're saying is you can create whatever you want. I love that Mia got to go on a little bit of a research tour, <laughs> going to New Orleans like that. Jen and Kiki, have either of you had the opportunity to do that kind of like, quote unquote, research for your stories? Um. So I was working on a, or I am working on a, a, a series set in Prince Edward Island, which is a small province um, in the Maritimes of Canada. One of my favorite places to go. And we actually went uh, last year and um, I, we've been before, but it's been quite a few years since we were there. So um, we went to PEI um, last summer. And while I was there, I'm, I did quite a bit of writing for um, Ashes and Dust, um, or sorry, Out of the Ashes, the last book in the Ashes and Dust series. And, um, but I also um, went on a little tour of Charlottetown, which is the capital and took pictures and just for reference for this new series that I was thinking of. So, so that was fun. Not, not quite as much fun as going to New Orleans and having a a possible vampire lead me around the city, but, but still enjoyable. It was a good vacation. Yeah. A a large majority of my books are all based in the Pacific Northwest because it's what I know, but it's also what I love. So I feel like I'm surrounded by the stuff that I'm writing all of the time. And um, I also think that watching horror movies is part of my research. So I I get to do a lot of that and not feel bad about it. And I do dream of writing something based in Hawaii just so I could go and write it off, but I haven't quite (laughs) done that yet. (laughs) I am sure there's gotta be something paranormal to go explore in Hawaii. (laughs) Something. Something. So I want to ask the flip side of the question that that I had. What are some of the most challenging aspects to writing in paranormal? And, and Kiki, we'll just come right back to you. I, I think like what I was saying earlier, if anything can happen, then you have to decide what can't happen. And sometimes that sort of feels like going into a candy store and taking some of the candy and just throwing it in trash or putting it up on a shelf for later because you can't have that candy yet. And that, that can be tough, I think, for me. You have to restrain yourself. 
I think the hardest thing for me has been because I am a pantser in contemporary. Um, I have had to learn to slow down and um, actually think about things before I put them on paper and question things that I've already done. Um, and I guess it's similar to what Kiki's saying. Once you've established the rule, then you you can't break it unless you have a really good reason to, like Jen said earlier. Um, so like I, I wanted to create everything I write in this world of Eaton Falls for the future. So I was in charge of, or I've uh, been asked to write some short stories for different promos and things. And I was like, oh, I'm going to set them in Eaton Falls. And then I'm telling my alpha reader, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And she says, well, you can't do that because your vampire rule is this. And I was like, oh, right. So I can't do that plot if I want it to be set in Newton Falls because that magic doesn't work with the rule I've already created for that series. So then I either have to change it or not make it part of that part of that world. So I think it's more just remembering that you have, you've actually created something and the rules have to make sense in, in the way that they make sense in our natural world. They have to make sense in your created world too. One of the most difficult aspects for me is kind of drawing that line between reality and the paranormal aspect in the sense of where do I break the rules of the real world? Because paranormal is set in the real world. So like for example, in Not Dead Yet, I had a detective who um, has to work at night for various reasons. And, I, you know, I highly doubt that there would be a detective in the Toronto Police Force who would only work at night. But I decided that, OK, for this, I'm going to just go for it. Like, of course, he's going to because I say so. And I've got ghosts and vampires and witches and whatever in this world. So why can't I have a detective who works only at night? And it reminds me, I've always kind of keep it in my head. Um, this, uh, I happen to be at a talk that Kelly Armstrong gave. So Kelly Armstrong is a uh, Canadian urban fantasy author. Um, and she, I, again, I was with Ottawa romance writers and she gave a, um, um, a presentation. And one of the lines that I took away from the presentation was um, never let reality get in the way of good storytelling. And in her case, she was talking about a detective that normally works with a partner, but he had to go off and do some investigation without the partner for this plot point to work. So in reality, that would never happen. But for her storyline, it had to happen. So she just let it happen. So that's something that I keep in my head. I, I'm, I want things to be if I'm if it's set in a contemporary setting, I want it to be as real as possible. But at the same time, I always keep that in my head, like, don't let that get in the way of good storytelling. So it's sort of a, a mantra that I go back to if I get stuck, um, you know, like this wouldn't really happen, but I'm going to make it happen that way. <laughs> I like that. I may put that up on my wall or on my computer or something just as a reminder, because yeah. I mean, that, as you noted, plays in any of the genres that we may write in. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about your individual books and series. And Mia, we'll start with you. You've got two books out in the Covenant of Eaton Falls. There's a third coming in July. Tell us a little bit more about this series that you've got the witches and the vampires. Yeah, so the Covenant of Eaton Falls, um, the, the premise, the beginning of it starts with, there is a peace treaty between the vampires and the witches. 
and it's centuries old and it came out of conflict that happened, you know, many, many thousands of years ago. And so they live in harmony, harmony in this fictional town of Eaton Falls, which is, I've made it up to be something in Massachusetts, kind of a Salem, uh, Cambridge blend of, of a town. Uh, Cause Salem is in the, in the book as its own city. So it's sort of like a take on Salem, but I didn't want to be, I used to live there, but I was a teenager when I lived in Salem and I didn't want to be stuck to, um, what is Salem like now? Right. So I didn't want to create that for myself. So, um, it's a fictional city, so I can make it be whatever I want. And they live on opposite sides of the town and everybody knows that the two shall not meet. They shall not interact. There's nothing. So book one starts with a witch waking up in the bedroom of the vampire and having no idea how he got there. And then that's basically what kicks off everything. So they have to figure out how did he get there? Cause the vampire doesn't know either. The vampire took him in, but he doesn't know how he got there. Um, and there's this tension because it's forbidden. They're attracted to each other. They don't want to break the peace treaty, but they have to understand what happened that brought them together. Uh, and that's basically what kicks off this six book series. Um, each coven has uh, about six people in it. The witches have more. They have some female witches um, who play pivotal roles in the book, but they're obviously not um, love interest because it's an MM book, um, but they have important roles. And then uh, for the witches, they're the ones who find out that other than the vampires and Faye, there are many more supernatural beings in Eaton Falls that they weren't aware of. So it's sort of this um, explore, exploratory uh, awakening for the witches as well. And uh, yeah, I think that's probably all I can say about it without spoilers, but um, it's an absolute blast because I wrote my vampires my favorite vampire movie is Interview with the Vampire. So I wrote my vampires very much in sort of a Lestat, you know, not as not as boisterous maybe and um, and uh, <laughs> troublesome as Lestat is, but sort of that old, you know, they're they're relics of the past and they're not modern and they're not um, they're not funny and they're not sarcastic. They're just these thousands old guys that are making do what, what they can in the modern world and end up in a mystery entwined with these witches who they thought were their mortal enemies or immortal en enemies. Here we go. <laughs> so Jen, you recently finished up the Ashes and Dust trilogy, as you mentioned, with Out of the Ashes. What are Colin and Evan up to in this final installment? So, um, in this final installment, uh, we've got the repercussions of what happens at the end of book two. So everybody who's read that knows that there's a little bit of a cliffhanger. Um, Colin ends up breaking his bond with Evan against Evan's wishes, um, but he had to do it. And um, so we're dealing with the repercussions of that where uh, Colin remembers everything, but he doesn't have the emotions connected to those memories. So he's, he's, you know, he, he likes Evan and he remembers the fact that they were together, but it's like watching a movie. He doesn't have any connection to it. So um, Colin or Evan is actually, you know, trying to date Colin, trying to um, get him to remember 
how they felt about each other. And the, uh, when they go on a date, the um, restaurant they're in, something happens not between them. It's something bad. So, um, so that kind of kicks off the action of the third book where they're trying to figure out, um, you know, the, the bad guy that they identified in the second book, is he actually the real bad guy? Or is there somebody else that's behind everything? Um, and, you know, at the same time, Colin is battling with um, trying to reconnect with, you know, these emotions that Evan says that they had um, trying, you know, it's obvious that Evan is in love with him and he's trying to get back to that point, but it's, it's difficult. And anyway, so it's, it's basically them trying to um, find a real connection as opposed to the one that was forced on them in the first book. So um, I have to say that the epilogue of this book is one of my favorite chapters I have written for any of the books that I've written. Um, it is just really, really full circle for Evan and everybody who's been looking for him to find us happily ever after he does. I promise. I had no doubt that he would, cause you know, <laughs> it's a romance, but <laughs> to hear you say that about the epilogue, it's like, I've got to hurry up and read this book having, you know, invested in the rest of the series too, to find it out how it all ends up. So satisfying to write that epilogue. So satisfying. I have never written a character who started out so low. So for those of you um, who don't know, so Evan, he, Evan's introduced in the first book of the Not Dead Yet series, and he is at an epic low. He is dealing with depression. Um, he's dealing with suicidal thoughts. And he is like planning that the night that he and... Um, he's introduced is going to be his last night on earth. And he's basically um, kind of destroyed, but also rescued by the characters in that book. And um, so he's grown over the, the six books, the five years that, that in or six years that encompass all the books and um, to see him at the end and to see him get that happily ever after is like one of the most satisfying character arcs I've ever written. So I really hope that everybody enjoys it as well. And, um, you know, will forgive me for uh, book three of Not Dead Yet and book two of Ashes and Dust. <laughs> Kiki, we're going to jump into the future with you a little bit. In August, you're kicking mm -hmm. off Lunar Wolves. What can you tell us about Pressure and what you've got planned for this new series? So Pressure, um, like you said, it's the first book in the new Lunar Wolf series. And for me, it's a departure from what I've been writing because it will be uh, one of the first books that doesn't have any sort of um, impreg or megaverse elements at all. It's just strict paranormal romance. And that's, I mean, that's, I'm excited. I'm so excited, but it's also a little bit scary because I think that the, at some point they're, they're different stories. Certain things have to happen. And um, in just straight paranormal, you kind of have a little bit more freedom, which was, as we all know, for me, a little bit hard. I had to rein myself in a little with all of that extra freedom that I got. But um, pressure, it, it exists in this world that has werewolves and witches. And, um, you know, long, long, long time ago, there was a sacred pact that they um, enacted together to make them both stop stop all this ancient fighting and to also make both of these um, species stronger and so the sacred pact says that a werewolves and witches a certain amount must um must mate marry mate come together 
um, every year to kind of keep this piece going. And then in, in this world, um, a portal opens that brings in werewolves from two other dimensions. So we have three different kinds of species of werewolves. And in pressure, we're learning how all of these species have kind of come together in this place called Crescent City. So you have just a lot of um, animosity and fear and just sort of like that political intrigue going on. But on the romance end, which is what we all care about, uh, my lead werewolf, his name is Axe, and he needs, he must find a witch mate in order to keep his position. And um, he sort of has this sordid past that has made that very difficult, which has kind of led him down um, to sort of his last options of finding uh, this young man named Caden. And Caden does not even know that paranormal world exists. He doesn't know he's a witch. And so through the process, they they come to terms with having a, a fake relationship contract where they um, just pretend to everyone else that, that they have like this regular regular mating relationship. And it's a lot of fun because they're just opposite sorts of people. Axe is very like strict and orderly and Caden's kind of the more wild, spontaneous type. And then it goes about as well as you think fake relationships go. And it's just really exciting. And I'm also excited because as we know, I love big worlds. And so this is the first book in the series. The other books are uh, Tension, Force and Thrust. And then after that, I'll have the Solar Wolves series and then so the Celestial Wolves series. So it's kind of like a groundbreaking, exciting moment. Wow. So you're starting a whole new universe here. It's all um, happening here. <laughs> <laughs> that is very cool. I'll send this question back to you first, Kiki. How do you think you've evolved as a writer within this genre since you started out? I think basically I've had to become somebody who plans <laughs> and somebody who writes things down. And, um, you know, before I, maybe I, I, I sort of just decided things as I went along and that stopped being able to be something that could happen. So I've become someone who looks, you know, years and years ahead and starts plotting books that I'm nowhere near writing. And that was never who I was before. So I think that's basically the main way. How about you, Jen? That's a really good question. Um, I think I've gotten a little more confident in um, trying different things in my writing, but also a little more aware of um, what I can and can't do, like what the readers will and will not accept. Um, I have a lot of readers who are still not happy with me because of Graveyard Shift. That's the uh, last book in the Not Dead Yet series. And it comes up frequently in the reviews for um, my Ashes and Dust series, which is a spinoff. So um, so that's one of those things that, you know, I, I've, I've learned from everything I do, I've learned uh, a little bit on storytelling or on the business side of things or on the way to approach doing a spinoff series, like what works, what doesn't, what would I do differently next time? So it's, it's a constantly an ongoing learning experience. So I, I try to take that to heart and realize, okay, if I do this again, I need to be prepared for X. Um, so not to say that, you know, there, I wouldn't take those same things if the story called for it, if I wouldn't do those same actions, but 
um, you know, a little bit more aware of how far romance readers will allow you to go with characters that they really love, even if they're not the main character. And Mia, a little bit of a tweak on the question for you. How has your writing evolved since you've kind of moved from contemporary into paranormal? And you touched on it, I think, a little bit too, because you're planning more now than you had before. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely planning. But um, I also took this opportunity to challenge myself from a craft perspective. Um, the contemporary books that I write are very... Um, well, they're very contemporary in the sense that um, my characters are very much embedded in uh, pop culture. So they, you know, speak with slang and they listen to what's popular on the radio right now and they reference TikTok videos and, you know, they're very much products of the of the world that they live in. And that's pretty easy to do. I'm not going to lie. It's pretty easy, right? We, you know, I'm on TikTok. I know what the kids are talking about these days. Uh, even though I'm not one of them, obviously, but, um, and so envisioning a guy who's 35 years old and lives in Phoenix, Arizona, and is meeting another guy online is pretty easy, but, um, envisioning a, a witch who has spent his life being told, don't ever trust a vampire. And then meeting a vampire and instantly feeling connected to him, uh, is not normal. And creating a person who has been alive for 2000 years is not contemporary. And so trying to create how that vampire would view the modern world and how that witch would view the paranormal world now seeing it through someone else's eyes um, has been a stretch in a good way. So I've really been challenging myself to step up my craft, think about my dialogue, think about pacing. And uh, one of my weaknesses, I guess I would call them is um, setting. Because again, it's really easy for somebody to go, I know what San Diego looks like, or I can, I don't, I've never been to San Diego, but I have a general idea what it's like. I've seen it on TV, but um, they don't know what a vampire's lair looks like necessarily. You know, it's what I, it, so I have to create that for them. So I've had to focus on those types of things as well, uh, which is not something I had to focus on as much with contemporary writing. So much goes into these stories, I swear. <laughs> with paranormal being such a broad genre and so many potential ways and to, to take the genre and to take the creatures that you're creating, I'm curious what you think the unique ingredient is that makes your story stand out. Um, that's an excellent question. Um, one of the things that I think stands out is that I did a lot of reading, of course, of vampire books, um, what's popular in my genre right now. And, um, I do think it's kind of that, that throwback vampire, if you will. Um, you know, a vampire who's not entirely assimilated with modern society and he doesn't quite blend in. Um, he can, he can get by in a crowd, but he'll catch your eye as something other. Um, and I also think having a, a myriad of other characters in the story that are not, uh, that are also paranormal, but I don't have any werewolves, for example. Um, and mostly it's just because that, that just wasn't a particular being that called to me, but I have, like I was mentioning earlier, I have like the Greek mythology piece. Um, I have a lot of 
one thing I think could be challenging for some readers is that I have a lot of, um, what's the best way to say it? I have a lot of discussion about Christianity, Christianity, um, because I think that for the witches and paranormal people in general, there's a, there's a contrast there, right? Between Christianity and paranormal world. And one particular witch, once he finds out that he's got access to these people that have been alive for 2000 years, um, he has a long discussion with them about Christianity because his parents died on a missionary trip. So he has a lot of questions. And uh, one of the vampires, and this is not a spoiler if you've read book one, but one of the vampires is actually a priest. So um, I'm going to have a lot of fun with that come book six. Um, <laughs> but if you're a devout Catholic, you might want to skip that one. <laughs> but um, So I think, you know, sort of cha challenging that um, theology a little bit, but in a context that would make sense for people who are existing around this narrative, um, especially gay people and their, and their paranormal on top of it. So to me, it felt quite natural that they would have some thoughts about um, the religions of the world around them, not just Christianity, but many, many religions. So I worked that into the story because it felt authentic to me. So I, I think that's what I think is different about my world that I've created is there's, there's a lot of historical discussions about historical people and um, like I said, theology, and, and again, that the vampires are very much um, products of their time when they were created, and they're just sort of doing the best they can in a modern world. That's some very cool ingredients. Jen, what about you? What, what are some of your unique ingredients? Um, settings in Canada. So when you read any of my contemporary set books, not contemporary romances, but contemporary set, they are set in Canada um, with zero exceptions at this point. So um, Not Dead Yet and, and uh, Ashes and Dust are set in Toronto. Um, my Golden Kingdom books, uh, one is set in Ottawa, one is set at just outside of Montreal. The series I'm working on now is set in Prince Edward Island. So I like to have those elements because this, these are all things that I know. I, I'm, I've spent time in the States, but never anything really significant to get a really good feel. And let me tell you, there's enough language differences between Canadians and Americans that I always feel that um, I'm going to mess up something. Um, like my editor has pointed stuff out to me all the time about these Canadianisms that I didn't even realize were Canadianisms. So, um, so I just feel like, you know, putting my books in Canada are, you know, way more authentic to me and, and who I am. So, um, so there's that. And there's also um, typically you're going to find a white knight who's a bit tarnished in my books. That's my favorite trope of a character to write or favorite archetype. So um, you know, these are the guys that are doing the best that they can, but they feel, you know, they want to make the world a better place, but they've messed up somehow in the past or they're messing up, in, you know, in, in the present, but they're still trying to do their best to, to make the world better than they, they found it. So, um, so that's always fun to write, you know, these guys that aren't as bad as they think they are. Um, and, uh, I would say too, like, I, I, I love to have humor in my books, um, sometimes subtle, sometimes not, sometimes absolutely ridiculous. Um, ask anybody about the uh, suck my toe Hudson uh, scene from Not Dead Yet. That still remains my favorite scene I have ever written. And 
Um, please tell me if you read it and don't laugh because that would be shocking. Um, but, um, but I enjoy, I enjoy um, adding in humor into my, my books as well, because I think when you're writing paranormal, especially when you're, you're dealing with darker elements, um, you know, things, it can be violent, it can be scary. You need to have that humor to kind of balance it out. Um, so it, you know, and, and I think it, it helps the readers kind of have more fun when there's a little bits of humor happening in the book as well. So. And Kiki, how about for you? I think um, one of the things that maybe make the Kiki books more unique is that, you know, you're going to find a little bit of everything in there. There's going to be some action, some, some slow motion violence, some snark and sass. There's going to be steam. There's going to be heartwarming moments, moments that are going to make you want to cry. There's just going to be that whole spectrum of emotions. A lot of my books have just uh, found families coming together. And I like to write packs that people want to be a part of, that people wish that they could go and live with. And I also like to write things that are connected. So, you know, when you meet a character, you might be able to see them in a few books later and learn, learn a little bit more about them. Nice. Found family is always a favorite thing because it's, it's so important so often to so many. Uh, it's great. I love seeing that manifest in books. This Big Gay Fiction Fest is taking place in Pride Month. And I'm curious to know from each of you kind of what pride means to you and then how you manifest pride for your characters as well as they go through <laughs> the various things that they go through in these paranormal romances as they're trekking their way towards their HEA. Jen, we'll come back to you to start that off. Sure. So Pride Month to me is, um, you know, being a very supportive allies, as supportive as I possibly can be. Um, not only to, um, you know, readers who are reading my books, but also to uh, my daughter who identifies as queer. And, um, you know, just being, being there, being a voice, being um, someone who can help elevate the voices of, uh, you know, people who identify as queer um, and help them you know, just support them through whatever challenges that they're facing. Um, in my books, how I kind of manifest that is, is really the, the found family, you know, people accepting people, regardless of who they are, who they love. Um, I try to write in a world where, you know, there, there isn't a lot of overt homophobia or anything like that, because I want people who are reading my books who identify as queer to say, okay, so, you know, this is, maybe it's not an ideal world, but there's some things in this world that are way better than the one we're living in right now. Um, you know, with the found family, with, you know, um, guys who identify as gay or bi or ace, um, going out there and making a difference, you know, so people can see themselves in my characters, having adventures, having, um, you know, being superheroes, um, which, you know, might be challenging depending on what their real life circumstances are. So I want, I want people to be able to have fun and to, um, you know, enjoy that element of who they are, um, rather than feeling, um, oppressed or suppressed as they may sometimes feel. Kiki, how about for you? To me, I think pride is at its, at its basic, like celebrating 
people just being exactly who they were meant to be. There's also a, an element of acknowledging just sort of the sacrifices that have been made to, to get where we are today, but then also recognizing how much more work there is left to do. And then you know, ultimately, I think pride is, is just about love and about allowing and accepting people to love whoever they choose to love. And I think in my books, a lot like Jen, I deal with a lot of found families. I have a lot of characters who feel different for a variety of reasons. And, and it's very important in my stories that I don't have my characters change who they are authentically to be loved. My characters learn that, that how they are now, that's good enough and you shouldn't have to change for someone to accept you. And um, yeah, I think that's basically it. And Mia. Yeah, I think pride, um, absolutely what, what the two guests have already said. I think it's about, uh, for me, one of the biggest things about it is that um, I um, also identify as queer, but I learned that by being a part of the MM community. Um, I, I had a lot of signs, <laughs> but at the time that I grew up, there wasn't language for that. And there wasn't... Um, they're, they're just, it just never dawned on me that I wasn't straight because everything around me said you are, um, regardless of your behaviors, <laughs> regardless of, of your thoughts, you're just straight. So that's just the way it is. So once, once I realized, oh, <laughs> that's, that's not okay. Um, pride also is meaningful to me in the sense that joining this community helped me embrace who I am. And so I want to be able to give that to other people. Um, and obviously I'm female. And so I like to make sure that other women know that, you know, especially women of my generation, that um, it's okay even if you're 50 when you figure it out. Um, it doesn't have to be something that you learned when you were 12 um, or 16 or 20. And it doesn't have to change anything. Like you can be married to, I'm married to a, a man um, and that's fine. It doesn't change my sexuality though, right? Like it, so it's just opening up conversations around that. And I try to do that, not only in my personal life, but in my reader groups and things like that. Um, as far as books go, I, I definitely agree with the found family. That's one of my brand points in my contemporary books. Um, it's definitely part of the Coven series because none of them are bl blood relatives, but they're all chosen family. Um, I also like to create this world wh where things are, it's just being gay isn't any different than being straight or any level of queer. Um, and that people are just naturally accepted for it. That if there's an attraction between two people and they happen to be of the same gender, they don't question uh, whether the other person, you know, sees that differently or not. They just accept that, hey, I'm think you're hot. Do you want to go out kind of thing? Um, I feel like there's so much out in the world that um, romanticizes straight romance, right? We see it in Hallmark movies and books and TV shows and everything else. And I just want queer people to have that same availability to them. I, I want trans people to have that in abundance. And I want to do whatever I can to help them be able to casually walk into a bookstore, turn on a TV show and pick a queer show that they feel they relate to. And that's what I strive for with all of my work. 
So well said, all three of you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. As we get ready to wrap up, we love book recommendations, of course. So not including the three of you, you can't recommend each other's books. <laughs> Who's an author who you would recommend to our to our watchers today within the paranormal genre? For me, um, I would hands down recommend Charlie Adhera, uh, who is also published through Karina Press. Um, their Big Bad Wolf series is amazing. Um, it deals with a, an offshoot of the FBI who deals with werewolf on werewolf crimes. And the narrator of the book, um, his name's Cooper. I can't remember his last name, but he is the uh, like prickly porcupine, amazing detective, but has absolutely no social skills. And he is just awesome to read um, from his point of view. Um, I believe they have a, a series, a spinoff series that's coming out in August that features one of the characters that's introduced in um, uh, I think it's book three of the original series. And anyway, I, I hands down recommend Charlie Adhera. If you haven't read the Big Bad Wolf series, do yourself a favor and read it because it's amazing. Um, I have two recommendations. The first, um, I recently read uh, Macy Blake's series, The Chosen Champion series. Book one is Logan. And I thought that one was was very amazing it's a great series um maybe outside of like the mm romance world is um sarah j moss's house of earth and blood it's this just sort of paranormal urban fantasy collection of just awesomeness it's got sort of that grittier narration that we were talking about earlier but just a smorgasbord of paranormal beings all existing in the same place so those two i also have two um the book that flipped me from a contemporary writer to a paranormal writer was um, On a Midnight Clear by Lily Morton. Um, it's really, it probably falls more into like magical realism or maybe somewhere in there, but um, it just, it just seduced me and I was, and I was stuck. Um, so I would recommend that book. Uh, she writes a blend of contemporary and other things, but that book. And then um, Sons of the Fallen series by Jacqueline Osborne. It's, um, freaking amazing. I mean, it's, it's uh, Nephilim brothers cursed with the seven deadly sins and it's got all kinds of beings in it as well. It's got um, dragons and vampires and lots of demons. And uh, it's really an addictive series. So I would definitely recommend that too. Fantastic. Something for everybody's TBR there. And then want to know what's coming up next for everybody. I think Kiki, we might have a good idea for you because it sounds like you've got this building block for this new universe and then multiple books and series coming from there. Anything further you want to tease us about? Um, well, I do have um, around the holidays, I have a few books planned for an old ongoing series that I have. It's called Welcome to Morningwood. And it's this little town of just every kind of shifter you could imagine. And they're, it's just, I basically, I call it my hallmark books because they're just, it's this cute little shifter town where everyone lives together. And so I'll be, I'll be hopefully adding a few more holiday books to, to that one. And um, yeah, the, the whole list I gave you, I, I am hoping pressure will get out a little bit earlier than August. Um, and then, then moving forward from there. Yeah. I am dazzled by the fact that you've got a paranormal Hallmark-esque kind of series. 
They're so cute. I just love them so much. You have ever, you, I do have to give a warning. There's tarantula shifters, there's snake shifters, there's shifters that you wouldn't normally see out there. And that's another thing that I love about it is just, there's all just different kinds of shifters all existing in the same little small town. And I don't know, they're so cute. Well, I'm glad I have the warning about the tarantulas now, because that might be too much. <laughs> And Mia, you've got six books in Covet of Eaton Falls that you're working on. Anything else uh, coming up for you, or is it going to be all Eaton Falls all the time for the, for the next foreseeable future? Uh, well, this summer I will have two more contemporary releases in a, in a series that I had already started uh, before the paranormal bug hit me. Um, and so to be kind to my readers who, who like that series, I'm going to finish that series this summer. Um, and then I also have a, a naughty Santa book coming in um, the fall, of course, November. Uh, and then after that, it will be it will be the rest of the Eaton Falls books. And then I'll probably be spinning off into the New Orleans vampire books, which are totally different than um, they're much darker. That was another challenge I wanted to give myself is a darker story with uh sort of the morally gray hero um because i write cinnamon rolls really even if they're vampires so i'm trying to write guys that are maybe a little little grittier because it just sort of matched the new orleans vibe for me so um that'll be what i'm up to for the foreseeable future fantastic and jen huh, um, ashes and dust is done yeah. what's next i don't know um, I'm, I've got works in progress. I don't have anything on contract yet. So, um, hope, hoping that I will, but, um, right now I've just, I've got a whole bunch of ideas and some, um, like ones that I'm, I'm kind of focusing on and seeing where they go. Um, but I don't have anything planned. So it, it's kind of nice because it's been, um, I've been working in the not dead yet series since, uh, 2018, so um, that's been a universe that I've been writing in, you know, six books. So it's kind of nice to take a break. Yeah. Nice. Well, we look forward to whatever comes next. Yeah. Uh, as you start something new. <sighs> Kiki, Mia, and Jen, this has been so much fun talking about paranormal romance. Thank you so much for joining us on the Big Gay Fiction Fest. Thank you. It was lots of fun. This episode's transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the conversation for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. The show notes page also has links to everything that we've talked about in this episode. And if you'd like to keep up to date with the show and recent releases in our genre, check out the Rainbow Romance Reader Report, the weekly dispatch that delivers the latest news right into your inbox every Friday. Go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com slash report for more information. Thanks again to Jen, Kiki, and Mia for joining us. One of the things that really intrigued me from the discussion was how for each of them, one of the things that drew them to paranormal was the freedom to create whatever characters they wanted and to decide how their worlds would work. It was really great getting some insight into their creative process around that type of world building. All right, I think that'll do it for now. Coming up on Monday in episode 386, we've got the last of our Big Gay Fiction Fest author spotlights. This time out, we're talking with Beth Bolden, and among the things we chat about is her brand new Miami Piranhas series. On behalf of Jeff and myself, we want to thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you'll join us again soon for more discussions about the kinds of stories we all love. 
the big gay fiction kind. Until then, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Production assistance by Tyson Greenan. Original theme music by Daryl Banner.